0: Long-time listeners know that I have a four-year-old daughter. Amelia is amazing. She's great. Yes, I'm her dad. I'm allowed to say those things. I'll tell you, though, we're in the midst of knock-knock joke hell. <laughs> Casa, Casa James. <laughs> My kid loves, I mean, freaking loves a knock-knock joke, but does not quite understand them. Allow me to demonstrate what I mean. Knock-knock. for, for Time out. I'm assuming knock-knock jokes are universal, right? Everybody knows what a knock-knock joke is. I'm not going to get too far into it. I have listeners at countries, I'm like, really? Okay, cool. And I wonder sometimes, did they get things? Are these references at all? Maybe that's why they show up once and never come back. I don't know. So knock-knock jokes, I'm assuming, is universal. If it's not, please tell me. But it goes something like this. Knock-knock, who's there? Bridget, Bridget who? I need to go to the bathroom, ah, ha, 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 ha. Now, that's not a complaint of needing to go to the bathroom. It's simply something that her friend Bridget said once at school last week that we are not privy to, but in her mind. that I mean, she gets the format, but she doesn't understand the underlying structures and why a joke works. Wordplay. My kid is hyperverbal. What? James, your kid? No, I know, really, right? It's shocking. But does not quite get the knock knock joke why on earth do i bring this up there's an there's an amazing parallel between my daughter and knock knock jokes and most hr and recruiting teams and their tools like they get the format and they get how this could work but then you start to use them and you go you don't really get how this works do you we're going to talk more about this in a second we'll be right back Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand and recruiting podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time, for joining in, we do things a little differently. We try and do deep dives. There's not a lot of interviews here. There's not a lot of news here. This is about how do we get smarter and better? and That means how do I get you smarter and better? How do I get you to think about these problems at a deeper level so that you can solve them and look like a genius to your boss? If this isn't the first time you've been here, thanks so much for returning. Feel free to share with your friends, your coworkers, your boss. I don't know. Uh, we really do appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. Hey, James Ellis here. Uh yeah, if you want to know where I'm speaking, and by the way, I if you've missed out on Talent Brand Summit, I think there's like one last ticket left, go get it. Um at this point, I don't know why you wouldn't, but there you go. Otherwise, I'm all over the place. Sherm, ERE, Recfest uh, places, MRA, whatever, um, go to employerbrand.consulting or thetalentcast.com to find out where I'm speaking and get all the downloads and stuff and all the the, the updates and the information and blah, 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 blah. Get on my mailing list so I can go subtly, calmly, delightfully annoy you in hopefully a vaguely interesting way. Anywho, back to the trouble with tools. I mean, look, here's the deal look around as a recruiter as an hr person look around at the tool set you have access to and we'll start with the ats and oh what james has picked up a baseball bat to an already bruised ats i know that he- that horse is dead uh even the good ones are not so great uh, when a c- push comes to shove why here's the deal here's the deal um ats's not for human consumption they're for recruiting consumption they're for hr consumption they are just glorified databases that some genius slapped a web interface on and said cool double the price we're there Uh, a genius idea at the time back when we were all figuring out how this whole interweb thing worked but now that we all have a pretty good understanding of it and we have expectations and we have usability expectations accessibility expectations and things should work We complain and lament about how bad some of these ATSs are. The interfaces are rough. You have to create a password before you actually put some information in. I'm not sure why. I'm never going to remember that password. I'm never coming back to this website ever again. Um, Gosh, why does it take so long to load? Why does it look like it was designed by a mainframe computer AS400, IBM AS400 in 2001? Uh, Gosh, even like I said, even the good ones, why are they bad? Because they expect us us messy, sloppy, complicated, sometimes gross, human being things to form lockstep into rows in orderly cues to do as they say, right? We are messy, we are jello, and they're saying fit into this exact cup. Well, you see, jello is already molded to a shape, and trying to stuff it into a different shaped cup is messy. But the machines are designed such that we will not talk to you unless you fit into this exact shape cup. Why do you think resumes are almost exactly two pages long, right? We've asked the world fit into these boxes. You're a square peg. No, no, no. We want round pegs. Be the round peg. Be a little more round. Do it this way. Be this way, so I can evaluate the same way, right? I think back to um, not back, but I think over to dog shows, right? Um, the, the, the uh, you're, you're talking about what is the platonic ideal of a Welsh Pembroke corgi, right? What is the exact right? Is it chubby and sweet looking? Is it tan? Is it multicolored? Is it how big is the tail? How does it walk? What size mouth does it have? Blah, 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 blah. You're expecting what's the best corgi? The one that conforms to the perfect expectation, the platonic ideal of what a corgi should be. And then, of course, you have you know uh, groups and best of show where they say, okay, is this corgi Welsh Pembroke Corgi, the better version of a Welsh Pembroke Corgi compared to, say, that, I don't know, Keyshound or that French Poodle or whatever is to their own platonic ideal what it is, right? That's really what we're saying. We're saying you have to conform to this idea of what we think a candidate should be. Otherwise, we won't talk to you. Otherwise, we won't be able to evaluate you. Otherwise, we won't be able to compare you apples to oranges. And I wonder, and I can see how for entry level, for first job, second job, third job, very simple early on in the career— What are you comparing? You're comparing, here's a couple of skill sets, here's a couple of attributes and traits we discern from the candidate based on them, how well do they fit into the category. And if you go back to good old Seth Godin, Uncle Seth as I like to call him for some reason because it's funny. You know the entire education system was designed around not how do we make people smarter, but how do we get them to conform better to what businesses want. That is to say, you get better grades when you sit in your chair and you don't make a mess and you don't distract people and you do the assignment as it's written and you shoot for the grade and you do what you know. If you if you follow along, you become it. You get better grades, and if you get better grades, you go to better schools or ostensibly better schools, better well-known schools perhaps. And if you do the job there, you get better grades and you get better network and people are more likely to hire you and at more lucrative salaries, right? That's the game. That's what they want you to do. Education is designed to get you to color inside the lines, not to go, this is dumb. Why do I need to learn cursive? Which, by the way, why in the hell did we all need to learn cursive at some point? What the fuck was that about? I'm sorry, I swore, and that's it's a rare swear in this episode, but it's about cursiveness. I just, oh, Anyway. Right? Education is about conforming, and HR comes right along behind it going, yep, you've all learned how to conform. Let's see how well you've all conformed. Let's see if you're the most Welsh Pembroke Corgi of the Welsh Pembroke Corgis. For all the people applying for this one-year experienced project manager, who is the most likely best fit one-year experienced project manager, right? Who conforms to our own platonic ideal of what someone with one-year experience as a project manager should look like, right? That's the job, right? If you brought in someone who has no project management experience, but probably has the best project management brain, but because they bring in other skills, they know how to see the bigger picture. And, or maybe you have an amazing, genius, Doogie Hauser level project manager, a, you know, literally a, a savant about this, but they don't quite have one year experience, you just toss them out the window because you're there looking for exactly the right fit pegs inside the whatever holes you're looking for, right? That's the process technology that serves hr i mean yes we're back to our subject at hand serves only to reinforce this if i have an amazing resume and my resume simply says i invented the hashtag guess what I sh- you should be talking to me. Your developers, your you know, your development team would love to talk to me. If I said uh, I wrote a book on on how to score what well, how to uh, score highly on the PMP test, the Project Management Professional test, or whatever it's called, um, I may not have the same amount of experience, but I literally wrote the book on project management. Or not even how to score well on the test, but how to think about project management at a different level because I my experience is from other places. My cover letter could simply say, here is the ISBN number for the book I wrote on project management. Here are all the reviews on Amazon from it. You should hire me. That's not a resume. And every recruiter will look at that and go, "Um, I'm not sure what to do with this because it does not conform. Right? Try and put that in the ATS. The ATS says, I'm sorry, you need to put a phone number. I'm sorry, you need to say the name of the company you worked for last. I'm sorry, you need to do the thing that I told you to do. I'm sorry, here's a hoop. You should jump through it now. And i'll do it calmly i guess because i got that hal voice please give me the piece of information i require um but that's not how you hire great people because great people are effectively messy bad people are messy too but let's be fair the blanket term is humans are messy and the fact that human beings have trained themselves to try and be and present themselves as the most platonic ideal of whatever this thing is they're trying to be whether it's a nurse electrician a project manager a developer a data science what have you they're trying to present themselves as the perfect version of that is that the best is that what you need is that what you're looking for is that what you should be looking for is that what your hiring manager should be looking for and i would say unto thee no 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 you can do so much better. The problem, of course, is that the, the, the legacy of HR trickles not just through the tools and the recruiting process, but through the entire process. They expect you to be at your desk at a certain period of time, mostly. They expect you to work a certain number of hours, mostly. They expect you to keep time some places. They expect you to define all this stuff, and they have KPIs they've predefined for you. Whether they're most of the defective or the ones they think they should be looking at, they never they rarely evaluate that. But there's expectations. You need to show up to work every day. Right? Even, unless you're doing a lot of remote, um, uh, you know, and that's still in the minority. It's still deeply, deeply. That's a very, I mean, I know the valley has taught us that all companies are remote friendly, but that's not really true. Even tech companies aren't necessarily remotely, remote friendly. There's a lot of places that still want you to come in and show your face, and it's about the number of hours you log and not the actual output or the value of the thing that you produce. Why? Because it's really hard to measure that. Talk to a salesperson. And a salesperson is a great example because what you're measuring there should be easy. And in fact, it is. How many sales did they bring in? What is the dollar value of the sales they brought in? And salespeople are great and are a great counterexample to all this stuff because we give them a lot of leeway. Go talk to your sales team. You're going to find that their best salespeople, for some reason, seem to be able to break a lot of rules. They seem to not show up every Tuesday, or uh, they're always an hour late for that meeting, or um, they do things a little differently. The, the, the cold outreach email they send, a little different from the one you're, you know, you've asked them to send. They do not conform to the standardized expectation of what you're supposed to do. The fact that they are the best salespeople should suggest that perhaps you should steal from them and maybe follow their lead. But that wouldn't work either because then you're just establishing a new standard and there's someone's going to deviate and find a new way to do it. But because you've established a good solid KPI at the end of it, i.e. sales, money, it's easy to say, okay, let's let that person <clears throat> excuse me, deviate. But until you've ex- unless you've hit 110% of your quota, you have to follow lockstep. But of course, if you follow lockstep and sound like everybody else, how in the world can you hit 110%? It's not possible. Now, that's sales. That's easy. There's really easy and useful and valid KPI there when it comes to coding, when it comes to nursing, when it comes to whatever. Very few KPIs that are directly connected to the business is that. And thus, it's very hard to reject the conformity. It's very hard to find, to embrace the messiness. So let's go back to tools, right? Let's talk about the So if we understand that the tools are just reinforcing this idea of, and, and remember, everybody sees HR and recruiting as cost centers. That is, they are not driving, they're not bringing in cash to the business. Sales is bringing in cash, development is bringing in cash, the electrician's probably bringing in cash, depending on how you're using it. New business development's bringing in cash. Uh, the project product manager is definitely bringing in cash because the products they use sell products. Um, but not everybody's shows a direct, clear correlation to the bottom line. Unfortunately, HR and recruiting live there, which is why they feel the squeeze so bad, because every time a company has a bad quarter or a bad week, they go, crap. How do we save some money? Well, we can't save money on the places that make money, so let's save money on the places that we spend money that don't bring money back. Hi, how you doing, HR? Hi, how you doing, recruiting? Good to meet you. You're bent over. (laughs) You may feel a little pinch. So you get squeezed. And when they're squeezing, what they're saying is, let's figure out a way to optimize and structure everything HR and recruiting does so that we can apply some tools that optimize and automate those things to keep the costs low. Now, if HR and recruiting were really, truly automatable, were standardized processes you could just follow along and you can automate, do it. Highly recommend you do it. And there are jobs, and there are industries, and there are roles in which you should absolutely do that stuff, right? If you're hiring entry level people in a call center, yeah, automate that as hard as possible. Why? Because chances are, no matter how good your your recruiters are, you're still fifty fifty shots of quality candidates, so you might as well make them as cheap as possible. There's no way to there's no way to win that game no matter what you do. So don't try and win the game, figure out how to stop losing the game. So figure out there how to squeeze the costs. But for most other jobs where where human messiness actually can play a valid part in success, right? You've met the nurse who breaks the rules but does a great job because of that. We've already talked to the salesperson who violates conformity but because of that is able to find a way to make more money. The product manager who shows up every other Thursday or the project manager who doesn't always show up, do the exact same thing you expect them to do, but their projects always, for some reason, seem to come in on time exactly the way they're supposed to. They may do it a little different, but if they're doing the great job, they're messy, that's fine. Embrace it. And tools don't know how to embrace the messiness. They just don't. Even the dumb ATS, which, like I said, is just a database. This is a dumb a tool as you can get, is still exactly that. It's still there to figure out how to optimize and force everybody to force themselves and squeeze them through that particular round hole, regardless of what shape shape, peg they are. Let's talk about how you should think about recruiting tools and HR tools because there is a lot of good tools out there. And I have friends who make and sell these tools, so I'm not dinging on them. I'm just saying because blockchain, automation, bots – uh, you know, speed of use, all this stuff, reduced number of clicks, metrics, um, better funnels—all these things can be done. They're incredibly shiny. HR leaders and recruiting leaders are attracted to that shininess without necessarily knowing how they're actually going to help. And frankly, some of the people I know who sell stuff, well actually not true, people I know who sell stuff usually do a really good job of telling you what's real and what's not, and they don't try and spin you. But I know plenty, and trust me, I've been on many, many vendor calls. And I think I've gotten some rules on how to think about all these tools and how to think about when you're choosing the tools or whether you even have a tool that you should consider. So I'm going to run through some of these. Um, The first one is easy. Where in the candidate journey or funnel will this make a measurable impact? I've seen plenty of tools that say, hey, we can increase, we decrease your cost by 5%, or we can increase your click through rate by this much, or we can, they're talking about nice, simple numbers, but because they're not specific about where that impact happens, it's very hard to show the value. In fact, that makes it easier down the road when you spend all this money on a tool that's supposed to bring in all this traffic and you're like, yeah, but it was crap traffic. It's, oh, we never told you it was going to be good traffic. Oh, we never told you that. The click-through rate was at the top of the funnel where you didn't need help but not at the bottom of the funnel where you did need help. So get as specific as you can. The candidate journey, much like the candidate themselves, much like human beings themselves are insanely messy, that's fine. But be specific as to where this product will make the most impact. Then the next question is how are you going to measure that impact? Now a lot of tools are going to say, oh we, and I go back to marketing because that's kind of where I cut my teeth. you know, there used to be a time, and <laughs> that time is still today, unfortunately, where, hey, how effective was that ad? Well, it got a hundred thousand impressions. Well, that's not the question I asked. <laughs> when the question is, how effective is that ad? What was, the, what was the purpose of that ad? Was it to increase awareness? Was it to increase sales? Was it to increase clicks? Was it to, what was it supposed to do? Impressions, right? Not that. The fact that a million people, quote unquote, saw the ad, doesn't mean it did me any good because let's be fair in marketing terms the fact that the, the ad loaded doesn't mean it was actually seen you've seen all, when was the last time you saw a web page that was one that wasn't scrollable that didn't expect you to scroll that wasn't forever long right the ad that loads way down at the bottom of the page that you never get to someone still paid for i hope it's not you um, And that's just an obvious example that's just an easy one but how are you going to measure the impact Is the impact about getting more people to the website? If so, why? What's the purpose of that? Do you need more traffic? I can, traffic's easy. Eyeballs are easy. In 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 an attention economy, they're still easy to buy. You just have a flashy ad. You animate the hell out of it. You stick it places. People accidentally click on it, and there you go. Kumbamo, traffic. Oh, accidental clicks on cheesy look at me ads are not what you were looking for? Interesting. Good thing we've set that up ahead of time. So are you looking for more applications? Are you looking for better applications? How are you measuring better applications? What does better look like? You have to have that defined ahead of time. Now here's where things get interesting. If you've defined the impact of this product, how are you going to tell your boss about the value? And if you're going to tell the value, how are you going to show the value of that product in dollars? Remember. One of the underlying rules of everything we do here and we forget every day is that businesses only care about three things, making money, saving money, increasing their brand awareness because brand awareness leads to making money, <laughs> right? Everything a company does is in service of those three goals, except for recruiting because we forget. we didn't. No one told us those rules. Well, here I am. Here are the rules. Everything you do should show how you are about to make the company money, save the company money, increase brand awareness in a clear, obvious way that leads to sales. So if you're going to spend the company's money, how are you going to make money, save money, or increase brand awareness? And if you can't do it, get ready for a good long no. <laughs> but that's a, the trick is just because you appreciate it, it, saves you a couple of clicks, or it increases the, the pipeline. How does that help the company? It's not about how it helps you. It's about how it helps the company. When you can show a product helps the company, guess what? The land of yes. The land of here's some money. The land of budget approved. not the land you and I live in right now. You have to connect it to showing the impact. So far so good, fantastic. But if you can't get enough of this stuff, I have some news. You can bring the James Ellis experience to your event or company. Just go to jamesellis.us and learn about all the kinds of custom presentations I can build and deliver for you or your team. But if it's time to get some hands-on help with your employer branding, recruiting, and hiring, either from the ground up or some strategic support, I would love to help. Just reach out to Proactive Talent or ProactiveTalent.com. That's where I work, and we can help you hire better. Cool? Cool. All right, let's get back to it. Then we take a turn, because I think this is where the concept of human messiness gets forgotten in what we do, and that is I have seen lots lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of tools That showcase how amazing they can be if everybody does it this way, if everybody shows up with a two-page resume, if everybody knows to go to that website at a certain time, if the ad works, if they uh, have the right kind of phone or browser, if they have a resume or the, that's actually a document and not a LinkedIn account or vice versa if they have a LinkedIn account and it's full of the information you would need to evaluate them. If, 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 if the, pr- the product because this is how the world because humans are messy right we covered this because humans are messy it's it's very hard to develop a product that accounts for let alone enhances or appreciates the value of human messiness so most products in order to get the hell out of the door faster focus on if everybody does it the exact same way here's a great tool let's take for example the car why because i talk about cars and cars are fantastic i don't even own one but they're they're fantastic they're useful whatever i'm, I'm pro car generally i think we should have more bikes i think everybody should walk and do take more public transportation but cars still a good thing What happens when you don't have any legs? What happens when you're blind? What happens when you, as a human being, are slightly messy and violate the standard two eyes, two hands, two feet model of a human being? Well, I guess the car doesn't work. Now, that's obvious. No one lets the blind people drive cars. But they have made modifications to let people without legs drive cars. That's possible, it is a thing. to which you might say, well, that's what Uber's for, or Lyft or whatever, or public transportation, all that good stuff. Yeah, but what happened was is if you're trying to attract people to do, use a product, what you have to understand is there is a segment of the population for whom they cannot conform to your expectations. This is just an obvious one. What happens when you ask all candidates to interact with, say, a bot, but these candidates don't have laptops and they have handheld devices? What happens when, because they ha- only have handheld devices, they pay um they pay for texting so they don't have a lot of texting and suddenly you start hitting them up on text and you're like why are you talking to me this costs me a cent every single time you do this i don't want to talk to anymore that is a valid candidate what happens when because they're on a handheld device they can't automatically respond because they're in a place where there's not great signal they can't watch your video they can't interact with you they can't download stuff very quickly What if, what if, what if? We don't all live in the valley. We don't all live in New York City. We don't even live in Chicago, though sometimes I feel like you all live here. Um, What happens when we're too messy for the product? Does the product still work? And frankly, expecting everyone—I I think it is the greatest trick. You know, my, it's the Kaiser Soze uh, uh, usual suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever ever pulled was pretending—convincing us it wasn't real. The greatest trick recruiting ever pulled was convincing us to put all our entire lives on two pieces of paper, right? I think expecting us to pull that trick again is a big ask. So look at your tools and say, okay, if everybody conforms to this model— this tool can help, now the question is how, many, how much of your audience actually conforms to that model? How much of your tool expects the world to bend to suit them instead of the other way around? You have to know that walking in. Now, if you expect people to bend, why? What's the value? I think we expect people to look at an ATS. We expect people to type in, to submit the resume and then type in the information, right? Of that, that is literally in the resume. Even when you have a decent parsing tool, there's still plenty of resumes that the parsing tool kind of goes, uh, I think your name is University of. <laughs> right? It still happens. And so you say, please upload your resume that you spent a lot of time crafting and carefully painstakingly designed. Uh, I'm going to barf on it. Now type it in manually. And you go, oh man. Now, the reason why that was okay for a very long time was because as the job seeker, I was desperate for a job and I was willing to bend to meet your ATS needs of typing it in by hand. Guess what? Not anymore. Now there's too many people looking for people to hire. It's easy enough to say, you know what? If you're going to be much of a pain in the ass to work with, I'm out. I'm going to go find some other company. And they just leave. Suddenly, the what's in it for me isn't good enough to get people to bend to meet your needs. That's what I mean. So if you understand that you're asking people to bend, what's in it for them, right? Does this tool, and I think this is higher level thinking here that you should be thinking about considering or throwing at your vendor just to see how much they crap their pants, ask them... Does this tool take advantage of human messiness or does it pretend it doesn't exist? How much does it assume that everyone will do it this way? How much does it assume that everyone speaks English? How much will they assume that everyone is sighted? How much will assume that everyone has a laptop computer? How much will they assume that everyone has broadband? How much will they assume and how much does it say, you know what? We actually take advantage of the messiness. This project works great on every single device. And because it's this design this way, it can use, here it works just as well for the messiest, messiest of scenarios as the most standard. In fact, somehow, we even take advantage. Suddenly because we're reaching out to these messy individuals, these are people most people can't reach, suddenly your tools work better. Suddenly your your messaging works better. That's an interesting tool you should be talking about next another turn will this tool create a brand new silo (laughs) Uh, a cynic perhaps me might say that a business is usually just a collection of silos that never seem to talk to each other valid maybe harsh certainly but still a little on the valid side Uh, most companies are just a collection of silos they just and they who hate each other right (laughs) right so many companies are filled with silos who despise the other silos and then complain why the why can't everyone work with my silo well because you hate each other uh, i don't know that seems uh, patently obvious to me as an outside observer another silo is a choice and i think when we make choices on tools we forget to ask Who's going to own the silo? How we talk about will it integrate with our ATS? That's okay. That's that's step one. Good. You're asking base level conversations. Will it work in English um, or whatever my language of choice is? But beyond that, am are you going to have to hire a brand new? I don't know uh, a data person in your hris team just to look at this tool because the data it's collecting is so cool and complicated but your average recruiter will kind of look at it and go ugh, numbers run and you need to hire someone dedicated to focus on this congratulations you've invented a silo because no one else understands this information but the new new person you have to hire or maybe even this person you already have on hand but guess what they are the only people who understand it you've invented a new silo so if you're going to invent a new silo it better be worth it right? Silos are inherently not good. Everything you should do should be to break down silos. People who interact and engage and work cross-functionally are better than companies that do not. Simply true. Working with one company right now for whom they literally don't say things like we, you know, like, like most of your job descriptions and job posting talks about must be comfortable working in a cross-functional environment. This company assumes everything is cross-functional from day one. It assumes no silos. It's a very interesting kind of way of being. It's a very modern way of looking at the world, but that's really where companies are going. Cross-functional is everything. So the concept of silos should be anathema to everything you do. It should be abhorrent. It should be evil almost, so get rid of them. Okay. (laughs) Here's a good one. So you're looking at that tool. Oh, it's sexy and cool. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Maybe, maybe this tool is so new. You're going to be like part of their case study and you're going to be a little famous because you were the the early adopter to select this tool, to see the value of this magical tool. And by the way, in HR, that's easy to do. There are so many new tools out there that you can easily be the first adopter on this one and become part of the <clears throat> recruiting HR talk show circuit, so to speak, about how cool this tool is, Right? There's a lot of those out there. But I ask you, as you're staring at this super cool, sexy, excellent tool, have you actually talked to anybody who'd use the tool about it? Have you shown it to somebody outside of HR recruiting? If this is designed to attract candidates, have you talked to a candidate? Have you shown it to a candidate? Have you tested it with a candidate? If this is designed to manage some sort of company HR thing, let's say it's a referral tool right have you actually shown this to someone who works for the company for whom you would like them to refer people and ask them would this make you refer more this is the ultimate litmus test and everyone ignores this everyone 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 and i get the instinct look if i'm trying to buy a five or six figure piece of software or tool or platform or what have you the amount of people I need to say yes to this thing is painful as it is. Not just division managers and VPs and leaderships and bosses, but procurement and legal and blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. Oh, the list goes on and on. Pushing these contracts through is like pushing a rope up a hill. It's painful. A thorny uh, uh, rope at that. Adding another set of hurdles to this, painful. But let me tell you this. All the hurdles that I talked about first, those are internal process hurdles. They're there purely to make sure you're not doing something stupid. They're making sure you're not getting ripped off. They're making sure, like procurement's gonna say, is there an alternative to this tool that you could be using at a cheaper rate, right? They just want leverage so they can push back on the tool manufacturer to say, hey, can you give us a 20% discount on this? Because we could use this other tool that does exactly the same thing, even though that's not true, right? Procurement's just, yeah. We, we could have a whole conversation about procurement not subject to you know I would definitely have do a lot more swearing there anyway um, legal's the same way and legal but legal comes from a let's not get sued or let's not put ourselves in a in a position where things could get messy and I've worked at a large company previously where the legal department who my lawyer was fantastic and I get why this was so painful but painful painful like the rationales I heard were like <laughs> They <laughs> were right up there with, what happens if it snows on July on a Tuesday and we get, ri- we get uh, attacked by a thundering herd of zebras on a leap year? Then this thing might happen. You're like, uh, are you listen to yourself? Um, but I get, I get it. They have to look out for those opportunities for pain. That's their job. That's literally what they're paid for. All that said, if you're looking at this tool and you haven't asked yourself, is it actually going to be effective at the people I want to touch and use this tool? Stop what you're doing. There is no other conversation you have until you have some conversations with outside parties, and I mean the actual potential users. If you don't get their hands on the tool and ask them the ultimate question of, does this tool make you want to do more of X, whatever the intention of the tool is, stop. Don't do that. Don't use it. I don't care how cool it is. I don't care how sexy it is. I don't care how great the case study or the vendor that the, the vendor salesperson comes along and, and treats you like a prince or princess, a genius for even considering thinking about this tool that will magically solve all your problems. No, get it in front of a user now. This will save you so much heartache down the road. So much, because the more hootle, a hootles. <laughs> the more hoops and hurdles oh English is a complicated language folks Uh, the more hoops and hurdles you have to jump through the higher the expectations are that this tool will succeed and the litmus test for likely success is not in those hoops and hurdles it's in the user so you want to make sure that no one looks at you and says why do we spend all that money on that here's a great one uh, that program designed to show the world what a great place we are to work when no one used it, when it never worked out. How much money do we spend on that thing? Ugh, that's a stupid tool. Like I look, I'm blind, and I look at people complaining, and they look at tools, and they look at selections, and they look at choice, and they go, yeah, that's great, no, but that never worked out. Why did we spend so much money on that thing? Why do we spend so much money on that program? Why do we spend so much money on that event? Why do we spend so much money doing these things when there's no value in it? Well, the answer on a human level is someone got promoted having said we bought this amazing tool and look how successful and useful it is, promoted the hell out of Dodge, and left a stinking, smoldering corpse of a product for someone else to pick up who goes, wait a second, this is crap. You got an initial dead cat bounce and got promoted from it, and now it, it sucks. We're spending how much money on it? That's usually what happens, right? Isn't that a pretty familiar story to most of you? I would think so. But if we're looking for litmus tests, if we're looking for true yes or no, crossing the Rubicon level, should I do this thing or not, let me ask you this. If you took the money from buying this tool for a year, for two years, whatever, take a, pick a lifespan, a valid lifespan. Do not play the game. Let's be real here. If you picked a valid lifespan and you t- pick the entire total cost of this product, That's a big number, right? That's a pretty big number. If you use that money to, I don't know, start a better uh, uh, um, paternity and maternity leave program, familial leave program, or a better 401k, or a better, um, let's stay away from office parties, let's stay away from swag, let's stay away from better chairs, but enhanced the Wi-Fi so that it actually worked all the time or bought a better communi- internal communication. No, you know what? Don't do that one. But a better, heck, give it out as bonus. Heck, turn it into referral bonus. Give the money away. Turn it into a prize. If that's a six-figure prize, say, okay, look, instead of buying this tool uh, that was designed to increase engagement, here's a contest. And the 10 best and better engagement ideas for free get a 10% of that tool, that budget. So if it's a $100,000 tool, you get $10,000 if you come up with one of the 10 best engagement ideas. If that drives better value and increases the value of your company, increases the value of what you're trying to achieve with this tool, don't buy the tool. A lot of these tools are very expensive and I get it. It took a lot of programming it took a lot of thought it took a lot of man hours to put these things together i get it but their use cases are so specific the chances of you fitting into one is slim and what the marketer hi how you doing i am one and the salesperson i've met many they go well gosh the addressable market for this product is like seven and we've talked to all them and we'd like to make some more money so what we've done is we've spun this a bit to say ah, okay, here's a tool that's designed to increase references but only in a very specific set of circumstances, what we'll do is we'll say, we'll take off the end of that sentence. This tool is designed to increase the number of references. And in the fine print somewhere it says, if you're a hospital of less than 10 people. You know, some sort of weird circumstance that no one meets. Or you remove that entirely and just spin. And you say, look, we have examples of places where it's increased references by 20% or 100% or some sort of crazy number, then you're in business then you're in in business the use case for a lot of these things the use case look, like like look, you look at blockchain or i look at blockchain and i go that is a solution in search of a problem yeah cool i get it i get exactly how blockchain works not at a programming level but i get the concept pretty well i understand how it could be valuable but it's valuable for very 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 limited circumstances where you have a budget to keep maintain it we're being super secure as useful, and by the way, blockchain has been cracked a couple of times, so be careful there. Um, and it makes sense. For a currency, I can see how it might make sense. As a way of... That's something HR can use? Recruiting can use? Ah, That sounds like a solution in search of a problem. No, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Maybe if you're using blockchain, you've got a great example of it, but blockchain is inherently expensive. And because it's expensive, because it's got so much hype, so many people put their eyeballs on that and said, okay, how can I use this to solve this problem? How can I use it to solve that problem? How can I use blockchain to build a bigger house? I don't know. We have to do it this way. Because they, they're, 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 they're banking on this idea that the concept, or just even the label of blockchain altogether is so attractive it increases the value of whatever they're doing that even if they don't actually use blockchain, saying they have blockchain in the back end somehow, increases the value of the tool. Don't believe me? Here are some examples. Everybody remember overstock.com? Yeah, horrible commercials. Um, and, and and if you're not in the US, you might don't, I don't know if you know it, Maybe it's also called o.co. It's, you know, it's a bargain basement site. Cool. Um, they figured they decided to offer a bitcoin and added blockchain and bitcoin technology to their mission of what they did and their stock increased by no small margin. Simply by saying we're in we're into cryptocurrency. Boom. In fact, to the point of people ask why even bother having a website, we're offering discount coupons. You're making so much more revenue and capital off of the saying you're part of a a cryptocurrency. Why bother? Why not spin it off? What's the story that says uh, like two-thirds of all all tools that say they're part of AI or machine learning don't actually use anything remotely like AI or machine learning? They're just a basic algorithm? that we've had for years and years and years and years, you slap a label called AI because it's sexy, because people are looking for it, because people go, oh, cool, I bet that makes, makes it magical to try and increase the sales. Happens all the time, happens all the time. Now, that said, there are blockchain blockchain tools that are probably incredibly useful. I actually know someone who works for Blockchain Cool and I'm not going to go there. I'm I'm not there to evaluate that. I'm asking you to evaluate better. I know plenty of people who do bots. I know plenty of people who do machine learning and AI. And some of the stuff they do is pretty freaking amazing. Sometimes the answer is just to make a better paternity program, attorney program. Sometimes the answer is, um, I don't know, recarpet the office and paint the walls to make it a little sunnier in the office right? Sometimes it's just upgrade the coffee. Sometimes it's just there are better ways to achieve what you want to do, but because the vendor's not sitting there in front of you, you don't think to do it. So I want you to think seriously about the tools. Tools are so much. Tools take up so much of our time and thought process in terms of budgeting, in terms of implementation, in terms of application, in terms of evaluation, in terms of onboarding new people, et cetera, et cetera. They take up a huge amount of effort and resources from from our brains. And because they are so expensive, other people look at them and they evaluate us because of what we're choosing. But sometimes a better email is the answer. Sometimes learning how to write better is the answer. Sometimes having a, teaching every one of your recruiters basic salesmanship is the answer sometimes getting them better headsets so that they sound better or better voip systems some sort of you know you know communication systems where they sound better and can be more attractive and thus set themselves up are better sometimes just eliminating tools to become faster is the better solution but because there are not a lot of vendors saying hey the answer is to get less tools no one gets paid for that um no one's there to remind you of that and here i am so hope this kind of helps you kickstart better thinking about your HR and recruiting tools, uh, as per usual. Oh, it's a long podcast today. I talked a lot. Um, as always, if you'd like to talk to me, ask me questions. I would love your feedback. I would love you to review me on iTunes and those places that review podcasts and whatnot. Uh, if if this has been of value, of my whole podcasting world has been of use, please do so. Just take five minutes. Hey, probably takes even less. Um, I appreciate that. Otherwise, if you have ideas or thoughts to things you want me to talk about, let me know. This week, I'm going to Austin for Talent Brand Summit, so I'm probably, I'm hoping I'm coming with a lot of ideas back, but maybe not. Who's to say? Maybe yours is the best idea for me to talk about next week, but I won't know unless you tell me. So tell me. Um, <laughs> suddenly, it turned into a Monsters, ink thing. Put that thing down, or so help me. So help me. Um The last remaining listeners, some of you chuckled, and I appreciate that. Thank you. You're my people. Otherwise, I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening, and bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of the Talent Cast.